Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have author David Sukchik. And during a painful and chronic physical condition that triggered severe depression, he clicked on a YouTube video about an atheist who had died momentarily and saw heaven. This led him on a 12-year journey of research into near-death experiences, including testimonies of over 700 people who died, seen the afterlife, and returned. And David and I had a fantastic conversation about NDEs, about his own personal journey, and what we can learn from people who come back from the other side. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, David Such. How you doing, David? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much, Alex. It's a pleasure to be on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to talk to you, my friend, because I've interviewed probably 30 plus near-death experiencers at this point, but you've done a few more, a few more than I have. I've, I've done some. <laughs> <laughs> you've done like 700. You've written a book about it. And you well, come it's out- over a thousand now. Over now, so, yeah. At the, at the, at the, the time, time I wrote my book, it was 700. And it's probably it's probably close to 1,200, but I I stopped counting after the book, so. Exactly. <laughs> and and I've been, it's, it's a subject that I've been very fascinated with ever since I started bringing near-death experiencers on the show. It It is a fascinating- you know, believe, don't believe, you know, there's so much like, oh, that's just chemicals in your brain going on, all this kind of stuff. You came at it from a very pragmatic approach, if I'm not mistaken. And what you've discovered along your journey has really opened you up uh, spiritually. It's opened you up in many other ways, which we'll talk about. So how did you get started and why did you want to get started investigating near-death experiences? Well, I'll start it back in 1999. Um, and I came down with chronic tendonitis and it started in my hands and then it moved to sort of my elbows and I I had it in my jaw and then I got it in my feet and it got worse and worse and worse. And I actually had it for about 20 years. And um, 2019, it, it finally started to just clear up and go away. And I actually spent three years from 2016 to 2019, I had to use a mobility scooter because if I was on my feet, you know, for 
half an hour while shopping at the grocery store, you know, I'd be in pain. And so I had this chronic pain. The doctors didn't know why. They never figured it out, actually. And I don't know what caused it to just miraculously heal. Um, I was told, actually, by one of the guys I interviewed, who was quite psychic, he had had a near-death experience. He says, oh, you're, you're going to get your healing. And of course, I didn't believe him, you know. <laughs> so, But I had been prayed for by dozens of churches, hundreds of people, and nothing. And uh, back then, I was a what you would call a Christian. I was raised Catholic. And I came to a very painful conclusion. That conclusion was one of two things is going on here. Either there is no God. I didn't think that was right. I was pretty sure there was a God. Or there is a God and he doesn't care about me. You know, I'm the son who has been badly behaved. And, <laughs> you know, he's, you know, I, I'm disowning you because I'm embarrassed with you. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I clicked on a YouTube video. <laughs> and this was in 2007. And it was about an atheist who died, saw the afterlife and returned. And I had gotten training because I worked in sales. And so I had gotten training on how to spot a lie. And this guy didn't have any of the signs. Mm -hmm. And I started looking into it, testimony after testimony. And I started on YouTube at first, and then I would be talking about it. And, you know, somebody would say, well, I had a near-death experience. And, and they'd tell me about their experiences. And after a while, I decided, you know, people need to know about this because they tell a story that's quite different than what I was taught by, by my religion. <laughs> so, so yeah. I wrote the book, God took my clothes and now I'm a spiritual counselor. I'm a certified spiritual counselor. And I counsel people who have near death experiences, out of body experiences, you know, spiritually transformative experience or a spiritual awakening, things like that. So yeah, yeah it's I've, been quite a journey. I've had, I've had a few guests on that, uh, they you know, what they were taught, growing up is not exactly what they saw when they went to the other side um, as far as religion is concerned, as far as dogma is concerned. And like I always tell people, like whatever your path to spirit is, if it's religion, if it's not, if it's being of positive mind to you, great, go down that road. You're, you're doing most more than most. Uh, but, you know, it all it's very interesting near death. I want to ask you one question before we get deep into it. Have you, have you interviewed near deathers, near death experiencers who are from different cultures? Because Jesus shows up all the time. Jesus is a busy guy. He's constantly, <laughs> he's all, he's everywhere all the time. He's, he's, you know, but I never heard Buddha. I've never heard Shiva. I've never heard Mohammed, like I, I, from different cultures, people who are having near-death experiences. Have you come across that? Yes. I have heard people describe seeing all sorts of religious figures in heaven. Really? So you so it was so you've you've heard of Buddha, you've heard of Shiva, you've heard of Hindu gods. You if that's if that was the culture that they were or, or if that's what they not, would recognize. Not Shiva. Not Shiva. I've heard people who saw Buddha, who saw Mohammed, who saw Jesus, Moses, Peter. The guy now you'll be met by, you know, they create an environment to make you feel comfortable, you know. So if you're a Buddhist, maybe you'll meet Buddha. You know, if you like nature, they'll bring you into a garden. You know, if you were a a Christian, you know, you'll meet Jesus. Maybe if you're a Catholic, you'll meet uh, Mary or one guy. He was a big fan of, of Peter. <laughs> and so when he got to heaven, you know, Peter met him and they can appear any 
any way they want, but they'll generally appear how they did on earth, you know, so you kind of see what they look like. And so he meets, he meets Peter, the hot-headed apostle, and he says, yeah, he was a bit shaggy looking. <laughs> you know, I guess that's the way he looked on earth. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, and and you make a good point that they want you to feel, and when say they, uh, the other side, for lack of uh -huh. a better word, want you to feel comfortable because it's kind of like waking up from a, from, from anesthesia, from like heavy drugs. And you're just kind of like wobbly and you're just a little disorientated. Yeah. And if you, you walk into us, if like, I use that as an example, because I've, you know, after you've come out of anesthesia, you're just what's uh -huh. going on what's you're happening zombie <laughs> yeah you're just like is who's that what's going so if you, it's kind of like leaving that kind of environment and if you're in a in a like who is that buddha i don't even know who what, what is buddha like they would bring jesus if you've been if you feel comfortable with jesus or if you feel comfortable with buddha or so on so that makes sense i love the idea that he's like hey, if you like gardens they'll throw you in a garden and that's i've heard many of those stories you know some people are in the sky some people are in a, in a castle some people are in different places it all depends on what they are so um before we dive in a little deeper into near-death experiences what do you say to people which is a common a common argument, which is like, oh, this is what just happens when the brain shuts down. These are the chemicals that are released that create this common story because it seems to be not always the exact same, but there's there's the tunnel of light or there's a light, there's our relatives, there's all these things. Is that that the brain is causing that as it dies? What do you what is your response to that? What is your explanation for that? Well, that's not a very good theory. It doesn't match what these people say. So I have heard it explained by scientists that, you know, when you die, the, the little cones in your eyes that sense vision, they start to die from the outside. And so it'll look like this, you know, this tunnel with a light at the end. Right. Well, people describe going into the light and it being huge and en encompassing everything and, and moving closer to it. So that doesn't fit. They have conversations with this light. You know, and they describe feeling more alive and more real than they've ever felt on Earth. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, others say, well, you know, they were in the hospital and they had these drugs. Well, no, it's it's your the clarity of your mind is far greater. It's it's not a drug trip. You know, it's it's people who have taken drugs say, no, it's nothing like it. Even you know, something like DMT, which is very psychedelic and sort of otherworldly. It's nothing like the near-death experience. And there's other people say, well, you know, it's a hallucination. Well, that doesn't fit what they say either, because, you know, you get blind people who were blind since birth. Out of the thousand plus testimonies I've heard, three of them were blind since birth, and they could describe colors. They could say, you know, these people were wearing the same color as as these, of course, they don't know which, what color it is because they never learned what color goes with which word, right? <laughs> so they have to just kind of do their best. And then, of course, it transforms people's lives. And hallucinations don't transform people's lives. They come back more altruistic, uh, less materialistic. They are focused on meaningful, you know, loving relationships. They have career changes. You know, one man who was involved in organized crime became a counselor for uh, for young people who were delinquent and in problems. Uh, 
Another guy who was a policeman became a high school teacher, a billionaire, be, gave up all ties to the financial industry and became a certified marriage and family counselor. Uh, you know, it just it transforms these people's lives completely. And of course, the first one I ever heard, the guy was an atheist and an art teacher, and he became a pastor in the United Church of Christ. So, you know, hallucinations don't do that, <laughs> you know. And then, of course, there's all sorts of other things. They, you know, people will meet, you know, somebody will arrive in heaven and they'll meet their brother and they'll come back home. and They say, Mom and Dad, I thought I was an only child, but I met this guy in heaven who said he was my brother and that you had a miscarriage. And, you know, the parents' eyes get real big because they never told anybody about that, you know. Well, that can't be described as hallucination or a trick of the dying brain. The only reasonable explanation if you're trying to dismiss it, and it's not a very good one, is to say there's a massive coordinated conspiracy to lie about this. By millions, Even that doesn't fit million. very well. <laughs> and millions of people also throughout time yeah it's not just they all decided in the last 10 years to do it it's this has been going on for a long time i think what was the early i think the earliest i mean even the greeks were talking about near-death experience Plato, yeah and then yeah. of course even tibetan book of the dead it says you know it's over 1500 years old and it says a gleaming light will shine from the heart of god that will be so bright that you you don't dare look at it, but you can't pull your eyes away. Well, that's exactly what people describe. A light 10,000 times brighter than the sun, not at all harmful to the eyes, the most beautiful feeling and thing they've ever seen in their lives. You know, people talk about the experience like it's the all. It's the everything of life is to, is to be in that love. And they, they get to it and they can't describe it in human words. You know, if we were all in an interactive dream together, right? And one guy woke up and came back to the interactive dream and tried to describe the real world. You know, and they said, well, you were just hallucinating. It's like, no, it's obviously when you wake up from a dream, it's obvious that this is the real world. It's far more solid and real. It's obvious that your dream world is not real. And that's what they say. It's like taking one step higher to a higher level of reality and consciousness. It's, it's very similar to waking up from a dream. Right. It's or the it's Neo in the Matrix. I mean, it's yeah, exactly. yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, that's a good analogy, huh? It's Neo in the Matrix. There's no there's no question about it. Another example I've heard of of people when they argue about the whole chemicals in the brain thing is I had Eden Alexander on uh the show and he, you know, was brain dead for 20 minutes clinically. There's a lot of those like that the brain is gone, just gone. And they're like six minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes sometimes even longer and these people come back. So there's not even an, a, a convert. How can you argue that, you know, with, 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 with pay, with, um, with witnesses and other doctors who didn't believe in this stuff. And they're like, no, no, I'll, I'll sign an affidavit. He was gone and he came back. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. I think it's just a way to try to explain the unexplainable because anytime something un unexplainable happens, scientists, really want to explain it <laughs> yeah if it's outside the the cultural paradigm of beliefs they will try every excuse they can to dismiss it i mean you know even 500 years ago when copernicus worked out the math and he said we're not the center of the universe guys we're going around the sun at 90 miles a second i mean he had to delay the publishing of his book um on the revolution of the celestial spheres until after his death because people just thought oh that's mad science 
I mean, that was just craziness. The earth is moving, you know, I mean, it's, we have a long history of that. Um, <laughs> Alfred uh, Wegener in, in 1912, he first suggested that the idea of the continents were slowly drifting across the surface oh, of the God. earth. You know, he was laughed at by the continents drifting. Come on. <laughs> you know? What? And Plates. Even, yeah. Even in uh, 1841, Richard Owen, uh, this guy who examined large bone and teeth fragments, speculated there were once giant lizards roaming the earth that he called dinosauria. You know, and everybody thought it was a hoax that he was just trying to make money. Yeah, that's it. So it's considered crazy anytime it's outside of the cultural belief system. But you make a good point. There are testimonies where there's nothing you can explain of how they knew this. Pam Reynolds, during her NDE, she was dead for an hour. So right. She had a massive brain aneurysm. They drained all her blood. And she was describing what was happening after they had stopped her heart, after they had drained all her blood, after she was brain dead. She was describing what they said. You know, they were trying to you know, get this thing in one of her legs and it didn't work and I had to go and she described the tools. She described what the doctor said. Well, she was brain dead, <laughs> you know? So how do you explain that? Well, there's more to our existence than our physical bodies. That's, that's the reality that's going to be commonly accepted within 50, 100 years. Well, yeah, and I think it's, it's already changed from when the, near, from the, when the term near-death experience was coined back by Raymond Moody in the 70s, uh, from that point to now, it is much more known and it is much more accepted than it was prior. Uh, it's still not widely accepted and it's still not a concept that is popular, but it is in the zeitgeist without question. And it's so much more uh, acceptable now than it was, you know, out-of-body experiences, meditation, yoga, all of these things in the last hundred years have been adopted by society as a whole um even channeling people are like i've cha i'm channeling this to do this it's a term that people throw around now like it's like it's part of this the, the vernacular but but that was a that was witchcraft you would be burned <laughs> well yeah and, and you know 100 years ago if you told your doctor about your near-death experience chances are they'd put you in a mental institution mm -hmm. and they weren't so friendly 100 years ago <laughs> not so much so good as they are today. Yeah. So it's, it's changing. I mean, even things like, you know, you'll see it in the movies now they'll joke around about it, you know, don't go towards the light, Jim, you know, <laughs> right? it's part of, it's part of the zeitgeist. Yeah. We didn't have that 50 years ago. You know, even things like if you were to, when I was a child, you know, seven years old, 50 years ago, if you said things like, you know, my higher self or my chakras are out of a life, people would look at you like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're higher? You know, they didn't. Well, now we have terminology for this stuff. And yeah, it's becoming much more widely accepted. So can you take me through a typical, and I hate to use that word typical, a typical near-death experience, like an everyday, you know, run of the mill, fast, <laughs> okay. fast food like kind of drive through the drive through kind of uh, right well you make a good point there is no normal because heaven as we mentioned earlier creates a unique experience for the individual and you know everybody has different likes dislikes and that kind of thing and every experience is going to affect them differently so they want to have the the biggest effect to to get the change you know for when you go back that's probably the reason they're all designed differently but Typically, a person will die if it's at the scene of an accident or in the hospital. They'll see themselves from above, you know, and they'll see people working on them. They'll realize they can hear the thoughts and feel the emotions of the people. And they have 360 degree vision, 
you know, there's no blind spots back here. Uh, they feel more alive and more real, you know, just filled up with energy, kind of the height of life. A lot of them are very calm and sometimes they don't recognize their own body. They say, you know, when you see it in 3D, you, you, when you see yourself in this world, you're always seeing yourself on a TV screen. You know, you never really see yourself in 3D. It's mm -hmm. always a, and some people don't recognize themselves and some do, they realize, oh, that's my body, I must be dead. And then at some point, you know, they may try and talk to people, realize they can't hear them. And that, you know, it's not because they're like a ghost. You know, these near-death experiences, people ask them, were you like a ghost? It's like, no, I was the opposite of a ghost. I was more real and more alive than I've ever been in my life. So they'll, something behind them or off to the side will get their attention. They'll look, they'll see a little pinpoint of light. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. They describe this light as being beautiful, loving. Um, they get drawn towards it like a magnet and then they get to the light and it's, you know, very bright. They say it would burn you up if it was in this world, but in that world, it doesn't hurt at all to look at the light. They don't have to be told that this light is God. It's like the, the universe reverberates his name. You know, there's, there's no question when you're in this light because of the love and they have a feelings of love and peace and joy, purposefulness, you know, that everything that happens has a purpose, a feeling of protection. You know, this being of light is going to protect me forever. Nothing can ever happen to me. And sometimes there's a conversation. Sometimes they're told it's not your time. You've got to go back. Other times they, they say, well, you have a choice. You can stay if you want. You're done with your work on earth, but if you go back, you'll accomplish these things. And of course, nobody wants to go back. You know, even a, a mother with a newborn child, you know, will say, oh, my, my child will be fine. I'm not leaving this place. I mean, that's how good it is. So people describe it as they say things like, imagine the hundred happiest moments of your life and put them all into one moment. You don't come close to what it feels like to be there. Imagine the strongest love you've ever felt in your life. Multiply it by 500 or 1,000. And that's about what it feels like. It is joy and bliss beyond words and human understanding. I mean, if you had a, a magic lamp with a genie and unlimited wishes, and you could just wish anything you wanted on this earth, you still wouldn't come close to what it'd be like to be there. So some are told, you know, you have a choice and they're very crafty and, you know, they're very intelligent up there. So people say, no, no, I'm not going back. And then, you know, they'll be shown, well, these will be the benefits or this will be, be what happens to your child or your spouse or whatever. If you don't go back, you know, they're going to never get over it or they're going to have these issues. But if you go back, that's not going to, well, these people always decide, you know, if I heard their testimony, they decided to come back. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's basically it. Now the senses over there are, are very different. So you can see many more colors people many people describe the colors of heaven they say well there's colors that don't exist on this earth and i say well what colors and they go well, i can't tell you they don't exist here and it took me a while but like one guy who was an artist said yeah i was looking at over 80 primary colors 80 Jesus. we have three primary colors <laughs> you know yellow blue and red and a mixture of those three colors make up all the colors we see from three they have over 80 so the colors are amazing. Your hearing's amazing. You can hear tones all over the place. 
but your hearing isn't really used for communication because there's a mind-to-mind -mind communication where it's impossible to have a misunderstanding. So your hearing's more for the music of heaven, which is really beautiful. Some people will meet relatives in heaven. Some have what's called a life review. So they go through your life from beginning to end. And it's not really like a judgment thing, even though I, I use the terms right and wrong, but they show you what you did right and what you did wrong. And they show you how you affected other people. So in this world, you're always one person, you. You're experiencing life from the perspective of you. Well, in that life review, you experience it simultaneously from your own perspective and from the people around you as if you were them, seeing through their eyes, feeling what they're feeling, thinking what they're thinking. And they show you the effect of what of the things you said and did and how that made these other people feel and how they reacted. And there's no judgment. It's, it's you know, good or bad. You know, one, one lady, she had tied a, a ribbon around her dog's neck and had tied it too tight and didn't realize it. And when she had a life review, she experienced it from the dog's perspective who was suffering all day long with this thing choking her, you know, or one lady stopped to give uh, a stranded motorist back east in the cold. This was before the days of cell phones. And, you know, she was stuck in the cold. She just needed a jump start. And this lady was hurrying on her way to work and stopped and gave her a jump start and took off and, you know, forgot about it. Well, in her life review, you know, that lady had been there for a few hours and was getting nervous. I mean, you could freeze to death if nobody stopped and helped you. It happened every every so often when I lived back east uh, before the days of cell phones. That, that would happen. You could freeze. And so, you know, they show you that everything you say and do has an effect on other people. And, you know, you need to be mindful of that. Uh, one guy who was kind of a a big bully um, had a had a life review and it was very unpleasant. And then he had a second near-death experience. Well, after his second near-death experience, he had been a hospice worker. And so he got to feel all the good feelings of every elderly person he cared for and was nice to and talked to and helped. And and he said it was like emotional fireworks. And then the purpose of these life reviews is just to show you that, you know, the one of the major things we're supposed to learn here is to to treat others with love and kindness and compassion, especially when our ego tells us they don't deserve it. So anyway, they get sent back. They, re they describe the return trip as happening very fast or instantaneous. Some of them will come back in their body with a thud. And then, of course, they'll try and tell people about it. And people just give them strange looks. Or if they're in the hospital, they'll say, well, you've had a traumatic experience. You know, you you just imagine <laughs> that. You know? And then some doctors, they've heard it before and they'll tell the patient to shut up. They don't want to hear about it. So <laughs> head in the sand type deal. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, their lives are transformed because they come back completely different people. And and often they'll go through a marital change, marital status change, you know, because they're not compatible with their spouse anymore. And if the marriage survives, it you know goes on in a completely different way because the person has been transformed. So that's basically the overview of the uh, NDE experience. And there's lots of variations and lots of different things. And you know, some people don't see the light. Some people are just in the dark void. Some are just with relatives. Some are in a garden. Yeah, it, it's my basically everything you've said is is what I, I've heard all of that before. Um, it's all again the drive-through typical uh, <laughs> near-death experience is what you kind of explained, but there's everything you just said. I haven't think I've heard all of that at once. I think there's always variations in all of every, every everybody's. 
one thing I've, I've, and I want to hear if you've come across this and since you've done over almost 1200, if not more interviews with, uh, or testimonies of near death experiencers, everything you just explained is very positive, uh, quote unquote, positive or negative instead of not good or bad, just positive or negative in an experience. Everyone seems to be in a positive place. Yes. They go through some stuff in the life review, but it's a feeling of, it's not a judgment. It's a feeling of like, this is the better you. It's all about helping you evolve. Mm -hmm. But how many of your testimonies had a hell in it or had a negative connotation where they were terrified? About that- 5%. So what, can you kind of dive in a little bit deeper into that? Cause I, I haven't heard many of those. I've had one person on the show yet who's yet to be released as of this recording um, that had a negative experience, uh, which was really fascinating to hear. Uh, so I'd love to hear what your what your perspective is on that. Well, contrary to popular belief, the the hellish experiences are not a punishment. You know, we have this idea that was given to us by religion that you know, well, Susie, she's been a good girl, so she's going to get rewarded and you know go to heaven. And Johnny, well, he's been a bad boy, so you know he's going to get burned in hell for all. No, it's not like that. The universe, it, it's set up to give us what we want. So we're creator gods with a lowercase g, right? Just like our father with the with the <laughs> uppercase. So whatever emotional state you're in when you die, you're probably going to be attracted to a realm where people are most like you. Heaven and hell, well, there's really no such thing. You know, if you had an alien come to earth... You could show him like the most luxurious neighborhood of Beverly Hills, and he would call that heaven. And then you could show him the slums of downtown LA, you know, Skid Row, and he might call that hell. But there's not really a heaven and hell. There's just realms created by the collective group of souls that are there. So if you're in a super negative state, you know, suicides, not always, but suicides, for instance, often have hellish NDEs. It's because you're drawn to a place where people are most like you. And it's not a permanent sentence. You know, when a soul is ready, they all come home. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Hell, hellish experiences. I think every soul at some point has at least one hellish experience. It's a disconnection from source. It's a, it's a disconnect from God. And when you're disconnected completely from love, all that's left is fear and all right. the manifestations of it. And so, yeah, there are entire environments. I've heard of, you know, lakes of fire and demons torturing people, you know, pulling their arms and legs off and stabbing people with spears and and all sorts of horrible things. There's there's hellish NDEs where you're just kind of in a dark void with no body, all alone, all your own own memories. But I don't think any of those are permanent. I mean, it's it's almost like when the child is mad at his parent and says, you know, you're not my daddy, you know, and eventually they'll come around. Okay, so it's kind of a, a state that's designed to be as scary as possible. So you choose connection and choose the path of love. So you so in other words, those people are so far removed from source that they need something to essentially scare them back to source to remind them who they truly are. 
Yeah, well, you, you experience it for probably many reasons that I don't understand, but that might be one of them. Another is, you know, negativity has its purpose. You know, the, the perfect divine plan, I've heard it said many times from near-death experiencers that there's a perfect plan and it's working itself out in, in its perfection. Well, it doesn't seem to have fear and negativity and all sorts of bad behavior. That doesn't seem to fit into the perfect plan. Well, it does. Okay, it's what propels us towards the light. It's like rocking a car out of the mud. You got to go back first before you push it forward. And you keep doing that. And so there's this process, this uh, this oscillation. And experiencing fear kind of holds the space for the love. So, you know, a good analogy would be, you know, what if you, what if you grew up uh, as a child of parents who owned a, a gourmet five-star restaurant? And people came all over the world to eat at this restaurant. And you ate there every day of your life. And people would rave about how good the food is. And you'd say, well, it just tastes normal to me. I don't understand what they're talking about. How can you appreciate that food? Now, you can do it slowly by eating crappy food for a year. Or you can do it fast by not eating for three days. And it's going to taste real good when you take a bite. You know, so, anything anything's going to taste real good after you take a bite. Yeah, you you experience complete separation from God. Well, what happens when the connections there again? It's a lot stronger, right? What happens when somebody you love has been gone for a month or two, and they come back? What is it? It's just joyful reunion. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you, right? It strengthens strengthens that love, that connection. That is a great so, analogy. Yeah. So everything, even the things that seem negative and unpleasant, are there for a purpose, and are there propelling us into a higher consciousness of love and compassion. Great analogy. I love the food analogy there. That that really does make all the sense in the world. Because uh, if you're raised, you know, rich, let's say, and you have all the wealth in the world, and then you don't understand, you literally are in a bubble and you really don't comprehend like, like, like was it Paris Hilton once said years ago? She's like, do you know where Walmart is? She's like, is that where they sell walls? Like <laughs> she didn't, she just didn't, she just couldn't understand. She just didn't have a reference point. <laughs> Walmart sells walls. I think, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but it's genius. <laughs> Back yeah. then. But that's a, dis a disconnection from reality, but that's her reality. And that's what she was raised. It's like, just like the, the kid that was raised in that gourmet restaurant. So it's a really, uh, that's a really great analogy. Now, the, um, do you... they, made, they made movies about it. You know, the 1987 movie Overboard, Goldie mm -hmm. Hawn. You ever see that movie? Of course. Yeah, it transformed her, made her into a more loving, kind, compassionate person, didn't it? After she left her richy rich world and, and was... experienced being poor. Oh, yeah. It changed and being a mom her. and having a family and having people who care about them and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, completely. She was a genius with, with the Kurt Russell. As, you know, <laughs> yeah, such a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, now I've heard also the term spirit guides, mm -hmm. uh, and we've spoken that, you know, sometimes you're presented with Jesus and sometimes that figure, whether it's Jesus, Peter, Mary, who, you know, whoever you feel the most comfortable with is the guide through this process. But many times I've heard that it is just a being who does not represent anything. Doesn't, there's no representation, but it's kind of just guiding you through this process. Have you heard that as well? Oh, yeah. People will say, I knew I knew this being. Right. I knew we were together for a very long time. But, you know, the amnesia takes a while to kind of fade away when you're in this different realm. 
And so a lot of times they, they can't put their finger on who this being is, but they say, I knew we were old friends. You know, I had this feeling that we're very old, very, very close friends. And how about um, the Council of Elders? Have you heard I've of that? I've heard about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit of what the Council of Elders is when they're like kind of brought into this quote unquote room or area where there's literally spirit guides, ascended masters, who know, but there's a, a group of elder souls uh, or entities who are who kind of helped you put together your life plan, if I'm not mistaken. Please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. I don't know specifically what the blanket term council of elders covers. I've heard people say they met this council that could be called the council of elders. So I don't want to really speak to that too much, but I can tell you there is a pre-life planning. So it's generally done with your soul group and then a few wise elders probably for lack yeah. of a better term there's, there's really no old age in heaven um but more evolved if of, you will more evolved souls more evolved yeah so they've just been around longer more experienced so you know they'll give you a few lives to choose from and you kind of choose the major events it's just like going on vacation you know you you write up a, a vacation itinerary you decide where you're going to go what you're going to do and you can always deviate from that once you're on vacation you know, but the, a lot of the major events in, in our lives are planned, pre-planned before we come here, especially Maybe. if there's a big accident or, you know, like a, a, a nasty divorce or a, a traumatic incident, you know, like a plane crash, the person survives or something like that. Those are generally planned. Even the way a person dies is planned and when is planned. But again, so- a soul can always decide to deviate from the itinerary, but you know, typically when you go on vacation, you pretty much follow the itinerary. It's pretty rare. You, you know, you fly to France and you say, well, I don't like this place at all. I'm going to Hawaii instead. Yeah, that happens, but not, not very commonly. Right. And when you're saying the big events are planned, uh-huh. that means that the, you know, what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, probably might not going to, you're going to have a dinner, but it's probably not going to be in the, itiner- there's not a conversation that was had in the other side going on October Second, you're going to go to McDonald's and you're going to order the Big Mac, not the quarter pounder, but the big, like, that's not, that's not, those are the kind of the places where you kind of roam free, but these giant, um, uh, land, uh, um, mile markers, if you will, throughout your life are big things. Like you're going to meet this person. You're going to get married. You're going to have these kids. You're going to have this job. You're going to have, be fired from this job and it's going to take you on this other direction. You're going to open up this company. These kind of things are all laid out as part of what you're supposed to be learning. You're going to meet this person. He's going to be hell and he's going to, <laughs> and he is going to abuse you. He is going to yell at you. He's going to be your boss and he's going to make you feel horrible. And that's karmic, which we could talk about karma a little bit. What in your experience with near-death experiencers, how much of reincarnation, the concept of reincarnation, karma, these ideas have been around for thousands of years come into play? Well, I'm not a big fan of the term reincarnation because it makes it seem like one life after another with no connection in between. Mm. And the reality is more like our reality is with books and movies, right? So human beings having a life down here, very long life. And once in a while, they want to experience a different reality. So you sit down and read a really good book or you watch a really good movie and you're engrossed in it. You know, it feels like you're there and part of it, right? And you even get scared or excited or happy when something good happens. And just like we human beings do that, 
souls like to incarnate into physical lives to experience a different reality. So you're kind of in this eternal place of beauty and occasionally you say, well, you know, I want to have a life here to learn this and experience this. Now, karma was something real, like if you got some negative energy into your field from, let's say you had a lifetime as a very wealthy, selfish person to kind of work through that negative energy, you would be on the other side of that. So you would be the person oppressed by the wealthy, you know, the poor person oppressed by the wealthy. But because we're in a different place in space right now, and we're kind of past a marker, we were going to destroy ourselves. That was the potential for thousands of years. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And right around 1989, 1990, that changed. And there was a big celebration because, you know, we're going to make it this time. We're not going to destroy ourselves. Um, we passed a marker and karma doesn't have to be followed like it used to be. You can just decide to release that and, and release the energy. And there's all sorts of exercises, you know, all sorts of YouTube videos on releasing old karma and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I do believe in it. It's one way of working through negative residual energies. You know, we it's encoded actually into our DNA, which is multidimensional and quantum in nature, which was a, a big shock to me. I didn't I didn't know DNA had that role. But, you know, if you do something in a previous lifetime that can kind of make it to the next one. Uh, same with parents. You know, they can do something that gets encoded in their DNA and affects you. But right. that's doesn't have the same impact that it once did because we're in a newer energy where we can clear those things out without, you know, going through more negative negative stuff or negative experiences. But it's so essentially it is cause and effect. It's almost like what you were talking about in the life reviews. Like it's not judgment, but it's like you did this and this is how that other person felt. So you are going to feel the perspective. And again, in the life reviews, you're feeling everybody everything almost all at once, which is hard for us to understand, but it's kind of like this panoramic, you know, almost 360 degree HD monitor with multiple screens up almost. I think the closest visual I could have is minority report where you saw, if you remember minority report, Tom Cruise, he just moves those video images. It's something similar apparently to that. And you're feeling both sides at the same time. So you feel what you're feeling and, and how that person felt so it's kind of like that, but karma is on a much larger scale. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've even heard it described as a panoramic life review or happening instantaneously. Now, some see it in chronological order, but one of the things they all say about that review is it's not just a screen where you're watching it. When you look at the screen, all of a sudden you're there and you're the people. I mean, like one guy, he was a bully and he got in a fight. Uh, some pedestrian crossed illegally in front of his truck and he had to stop and he gets out and he gets in a fight with this guy. And he was a big, strong guy. He beat this other guy up, 34 blows, broke his nose and his teeth. Well, in his life review, there he was again, raining blows down this guy. And at the same time, he was the other guy. He felt his nose break. He felt his teeth break. He felt the embarrassment of, you know, being beat up in a fight and, uh, Fear this guy felt going out in public for 
you know, the near future. Oh yeah. So it's you, it's not just a screen. You kind of relive it, but it it's very instantaneous. And yeah, it's kind of panoramic, kind of happens all at once. There's no time over there. So it gets right. real difficult to describe certain things because there's no element of time. And, and I think what you said is something really point, really important to kind of point out is that as he was punching the other guy, he felt it as he was the other guy. Oh, yeah. So essentially, when you do something negative in energy to somebody else, you're essentially doing it to yourself, which is an old, oh, yeah. as old of, of a teaching as possible. Uh, do unto others as you like to do unto you. Yeah, the golden but, rule. The golden rule. But the thing is that you, since we, if you understand the concept of one and that we're all connected, when you hurt someone else, you're just truly hurting yourself at the end. Correct? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things near-death experiences will say, they'll come back and they say, well, I had no idea how powerful my thoughts and words are. You know, I would have chosen them more carefully if I had known, or I had no idea that my behavior was affecting other people negatively. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, they'll say things like, well, you know, when you bring hope or joy to just one soul, because we're all connected, millions receive the vibration. One person living in unconditional love is more powerful than millions living in fear because we're all connected. And we're now down here, we have the illusion of separateness, but it's just a, an illusion. I recall I was out on my uh, bike one day on the bike path out in, back when I lived in California. And there was this big poster and it said, none of us are well until all of us are well. And that is true. Very you know, much. Humanity realizes our common connection. They're going to stop playing some of the games that are causing so many problems. You know, the cutthroat, the cutthroat competition in business and, you know, one person abusing another for their own personal gain and, and war. I mean, war is the most foolish thing. You know, if we're all connected, you know, what war is like. Or would be like if I was out in the, my backyard working in the yard and I poked myself in the eye with my right hand by accident. And so my left hand said, you son of a gun, I'll make you pay for that. And picks up a hammer and starts smashing the heck out of my right hand. Well, that, that's what <laughs> war does. I, it's, it's like, no, you know, if we were conscious of our common connection, there wouldn't be war. You know, corporations and governments would be cooperating instead of fighting and suing each other. And, you know, it'd be a different world. And we, we'll get there. It'll take some time, but we'll get there. Now, I do have to ask you this question because I haven't had anybody on the show that could answer this yet. Or I haven't asked it really. What happens to our pets? Because so many people talk about pets in heaven and they can see their dog that they died when they were kids and stuff. From your experience talking to, to all of these near-death experiences, what part do pets and animals have? Well, domesticated pets here um, kind of are are here to teach us certain aspects of unconditional love. That's their role. Every object in existence is part of the creative benevolent source. So even a, a gnat has a soul. So are your pets going to go to heaven? Yes. <laughs> you know, I've, I've lost count of how many times people got to heaven and were shocked that their former pet was there. You know, oh, my little dog from when I was nine years old was there. I even had one near the experiencer who saw all these animals, you know, come running over this hill. And I think he was with Jesus and he asked him, what, who, what are all those animals? He says, oh, well, they all kind of play together while they wait for their owners to arrive, you know, for their former owners to arrive. 
and they're happy and they play together. But yeah, you'll see your pets again. So, so and you can uh, communicate with them <laughs> mind to mind. You can have a conversation with them. <laughs> so, so all, so all dogs do truly go to heaven. Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> dogs, cats, parakeets, turtles, whatever, whatever pet you had. Yeah, there's all a, a soul to that. And now there's some people believe that the human soul used to incarnate into animals and out now. It's mm. a different kind of soul. That, that, that doesn't happen. It's a different scenario. An animal soul incarnates into animal, human soul into human. Yeah, it's, they're designs for specific incarnations. Now, we've talked a little bit about religion. What part, if any, does religion have in the afterlife, in your experience? Well, religions are generally inspired by a master that comes to the planet. You know, Mohammed, Buddha, Jesus, a master that comes to the planet. And then they elevate this person to a status of a deity and have a religion around it. And it gets somewhat corrupted. But they're very useful tools. Mm -hmm. So some people can cook really well, right? My wife is a great cook. If I don't follow the recipe, it's not going to be edible. I need the structure of the recipe. Some people need or prefer the structure of organized religion to connect with God. Doesn't matter if some of their philosophies aren't quite right, or they've got some doctrines that are off. That doesn't matter because they contain, most of them contain the main active ingredient. So the analogy I like to use is Captain Cook's brew. So in the late 1700s, when ships would take long voyages lasting several years around the globe, a lot of the crew, half or more, would die from scurvy, which happens when you right. don't get vitamin C in your diet. You know, you got no fresh fruits and vegetables. They're out there for years. People die of scurvy. Well, Captain Cook had a brew and he had all these weird ingredients and, you know, malt and vinegar and sauerkraut and all that. One of the ingredients in Captain Cook's brew was lemon syrup, which is loaded with vitamin C. So if you drank Captain Cook's brew, you didn't get scurvy, but it was only because of the active ingredient, which was the, the lemon syrup. The active ingredient in any religion is the unconditional love of God. And so many of the world's religions preach love and its manifestations, brotherly love, charity for the impoverished, forgiveness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, good behavior. And we have so much in common. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The only big problem with religion is each religion thinking they're the only path up the mountain. Only brew. <laughs> you know, only brew. <laughs> the only brew, right. So the way God feels about religion would the analogy that I like to use is I'm, I'm stealing this from uh, Lee Carroll, who channels Cryon. Mm -hmm. He says it's like, you know, imagine you are in a bitter divorce and your children are very young in this divorce and your spouse gets custody and out of spite and hatred takes them away you know, hides them. You're never seeing your children again. And for years, you love children, you know, and a decade passes and you just give up in despair. And one day, you know, you get a phone call. It's them. And they say, we've been looking for you all these years. 
we're in your neighborhood right now. Can we come and see you? <laughs> it's like the best day of your life. You know, finally, after all these years, my kids are going to come and see me. And you run outside and wait at the end of the driveway. And there's a car coming down the street and it's them. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you care what kind of car it is? Do you care if it's a broken down <laughs> old car with a lot of problems and smoke billing out the back or a perfect new car in great condition? You don't care. You're just happy your kids are coming to see you. You know, when we leave that perfect place of connection where we're all in communion, the great I am, and you come down here and you're separated and your father in heaven knows that you only remember him and then you find him. Oh, he's overjoyed. Mm. <laughs> you know, he doesn't. God doesn't care if you're in a religion with a lot of messed up doctrines and mistaken beliefs and you come and see your dad, you know? So I just see all the world's religions as different ways of honoring and connecting to God. And I think just as bees collect pollen from different flowers, a wise person will take a sense of goodness from each and every religion. That's a great, great analogy. It really, really is. And I think you said it so beautifully. Is the, any true, the only true religion is the one that takes you back to God. Yeah, and that's people asked about what's the right religion when they had their NDEs. First one I heard, Howard Storm said, well, "What's the correct religion?" They said, "Whatever one brings you closest to God." You know, they don't they don't care. They don't care what the car is. <laughs> they don't care what yeah. the car. At least you're getting yeah. in a car, because yeah. other because <laughs> others don't even. They're like, "There's no car. There's no nothing. I don't want to see that person." <laughs> and they they tend to be a little bit more lost. <laughs> yeah, and the religions are maturing, and that's the beauty of it. There's going to be a time when religions honor each other's beliefs and oh i'm interested in your beliefs and how you honor god you know and 500 years ago catholics were selling indulgences you know pay us money to pray for your dead relatives so they get into heaven well they don't do that anymore that's barbaric well, I, kid, yeah. I mean there's still a couple of mega churches i'm throwing that yeah, out there okay. <laughs> i'm just gonna throw i don't know there's some tv evangelists they're still like i need a plane god wants me in a learjet <laughs> that's a quote <laughs> prosperity your divine right yeah that's funny yeah. so uh you know when it comes to comes to all that um there's this idea that if you follow everything correctly you're going to be rewarded you know and it, it's not like that it's no the connection to god is so much so, so much different uh so different and um the mega churches, yeah, I mean, even they have their role in trying to get people oh, to uh, behave well, and they kind of preach a but, message of love and so forth. But I mean, okay, so I went to this Catholic, I go to Catholic service because my wife is Catholic, you know, she mm -hmm. kind of believes what I believe. And this was a few months back, we were in a church and they told the story about the prodigal son. And for those who don't know, it was uh, two boys and they've got a wealthy father and the one is tired of, you know, working in the company store or whatever and says, give me my half of the inheritance. Now he goes off, blows it all. And now he's starving to death and comes back thinking, well, my dad's servants, you know, are getting fed. I'm just going to go back and, you know, be a servant with my dad, you know, not worthy to be a son anymore. And his dad, of course, you know, welcomes him home with open arms and throws him a big party and says, you're my son. I love you. And so this priest says, you see, this was his conclusion, this Catholic priest in the Catholic church. He says, you see, God's not going to judge you for being bad. He loves you no matter what you do. 
I would not have heard that 50 years ago. If a priest would have said that 50 years ago in service, he'd have never preached in that church again. Religions are maturing. I think they are. And I think it's, I think they're maturing because people are maturing and and becoming more awake. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, if you look in the Bible, everyone had slaves. (laughs) It was, I mean, it was very like (laughs) slaves. Slaves are good. Very common. It's fine. So there's things that were in the, and that's the thing that I always find interesting about religion is like when these religions were started, they were started at the time and with a message of the people of that time, the evolution of the people of that time. People could barely understand what Jesus was talking about for hundreds of years after his death. He's like the the power, the kingdom of heaven is inside of me. I am God. I I will do more. I will do greater things than you. Like what are you talking about? Where now these concepts are much more accepted, not a hundred percent still, but still more accepted. And and then if you start going back into like Hinduism or Jainism, these concepts were talked about thousands of years before Jesus showed up, uh, which is another conversation to be had. But when people become so dogmatic about, well, like in the in the book, it says this. I'm like, but that book was written a long time ago <laughs> and might not affect what's happening in today's world and the evolution because things continue to change. As long as the core idea is still there, which is trying to get back to God, trying to get back to source, trying mm. to find, trying to get down that street to see your dad at the end waiting in the parking, in, in, your, in, your, in your in your garage, waiting to see you. Such a great analogy uh, with, with Lee. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have Lee on soon too. I cannot wait to talk to him. He's going to be great. Um, now, one last, one last question I want to ask you. What do you think is happening in the world today? There's so much insanity, so much craziness. There's war, there's famine, there's economy, there's COVID, a pandemic that stopped the entire world for, for months on end. There's so much environmental stuff happening. What is currently happening to the world, to our society, to humanity in general? And what is this all for? Well, we are in a period of great change and with great change comes great turmoil. The dance of consciousness is always one of two steps forward and one step back. You know, we're rocking the car out of the mud, back and then forward. Well, I don't think it takes much of an intelligent person to take a look around at the world today and see that we're in a step back. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. And there's a lot of nasty stuff going on. And there is a great awakening taking place. This is a very exciting time. This is a time that was foretold through the centuries. And even the Mayans knew about it, the Mayan calendar, you know, I don't remember the 2012 thing. And well, that they weren't talking about the end of the world. They were talking about the end of an age. And in the future, this time, especially pre-2012, will be called the barbaric era. Yeah, because we're fighting each other and we haven't learned how to cooperate. So What's happening right now is all the dark behavior, all the bad behavior that was, it's always been there. It's been hidden for centuries, for thousands of years. It's been hidden. And now it's coming to the surface. It's being exposed. And the more, I'm going to call them the dark hats, are being exposed. Very wealthy, powerful people who have a vision for humanity's future. The more they're being exposed, 
And the more they're losing their grip on controlling humanity, the more desperate they're getting. And so you have an entire mass media trying to manipulate human beings and take them one way and human beings are saying, no, no, we want to go this other way. So there's a big fight between light and darkness. And in the past, dark always won. Well, we're in a new energy now. And we're being backed, to use an analogy, we're the referees on our payroll. <laughs> you know, he's on our side. We've got some reinforcements. And, we have reinforcements. Yeah, is what yeah, you're and saying. so love is winning. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But it's a painful process, you know. Uh, there's a reason they call it the terrible two twos for those of you who have kids. You know, they're just learning not to fight each other in the sandbox, just learning not to be selfish. And that's kind of where we are. And so a lot of dark stuff is going to come out. And there's probably going to be more division and more hatred before things get better. But a lot of good things are happening too. People are waking up. People are starting to realize there's more to life than just my nine to five job, you know, and, and surviving in the rat race. And that's what the People pandemic, are, and that's what the pandemic used to help us to do. The pandemic did a lot of things. So there are wild cards coming up. So the pandemic was a wild card that gave mother earth a breather because we're kind of stressing out the, the planet right now, not from global warming, not from climate change. That's, People aren't going to like to hear this, but climate change is not an issue. Mm -hmm. We're not causing the, the climate to change. Mm -hmm. We're not that much different from the primitive tribes that, you know, there's an eclipse and they think they pissed off the gods. <laughs> you know, the climate's changing. It must be our fault. Uh, we're affecting it. But if a big truck is rolling down a hill, yeah, you can get behind it and push it and make it go down faster. Or you can get in front of it and try and slow it down a little, but it's going to go down to the bottom of that hill, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. The big issues are GMOs and dirty soil and contaminated water and contaminated air. Deforestation. But Mother Earth, and this is from the other side of the veil, Mother Earth is much stronger than our scientists believe. And she can recover from any damage that we can do to her, barring a nuclear war. That's not going to happen now. There's not going to be a global nuclear war. So that was averted. So there's big changes happening and COVID forced people to face their fear of death. It forced people to examine their value and their place in society outside of their job. You know, we tend to value ourselves by our jobs. It forced people who are in bad relationships to either fix the relationship or to, to break up, you know, so they could move forward. It had a lot of benefits and it was done for subconsciously humanity allowed this to happen for our own benefit. And of course, a lot of people had near-death experiences. When I was at the IANS conference, the International Association of Near-Death Experience Studies, uh, back in uh, end of August, beginning of September, in Salt Lake City, I, I met a few people who uh, had NDEs from COVID. So yeah, it everything like that has a purpose. I've heard many times the phrase from, from heaven, it's a perfect plan and it's working itself out in its perfection. Well, when you survey the world today, it sure doesn't seem like that. But Changes are happening, even though from our perspective, they're happening fast. In the big picture, they're happening very, very slowly. So you have to look long-term to see humanity's 
maturation process. You know, look back a thousand years. Oh, Jesus. Well, it was pretty common murder and and rape and, you know, having your village overrun by whatever armies coming through. That was pretty common. It was not a, a, a tame or calm world. And even here in the United States, if you look at a paper from 1900, you know, 120 years ago, you'll see an article that, you know, well, we hung this young black man because he was fraternizing with a white woman. And they talk about it like, you know, a coyote was killing the farmer's chickens, so we had to put him down. Well, that's barbaric. I mean, mm. to hang somebody, I mean, that's crazy. That was only 120 years ago. And even when I was a child, there was still segregation in the deep South. And we're in a, a gentler, calmer world, you know, where people don't, quite act out of fear like they used to. Now, some people are really buying into the message of fear. You know, the news media is a big fear report. And some mm -hmm. people are really buying into a message of fear and, and everything they're selling. And that's causing a lot of problems, of course, because you get a lot of people who are angry about things that are not the issue, you know, and they want to keep us separated and distracted and that kind of thing. And But yeah, it's, it's going to work itself out. And within about 150 years, it's going to be a new planet. The new world of love is coming. And we're doing our, and we're doing what we can here in the time that we have to to spread the word. And that's kind of why I do what I do, trying to put out good energy and help people uh, and, you know, guide as best I, not me, but guide by our conversations and these things that help people along their journey. So, uh, David, I appreciate uh, so much uh, you being on the show and you're in the work that you've been doing. Can you tell us a little bit about your book, uh, God Took My Clothes? Fantastic title, by the way. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that and where they can find it? Uh, well, you can, uh, I think I got a copy of it right here. This is my book right here, God Took My Clothes. And it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books A Million and all the major book still stores. I, I even think it's on, I think it's on uh, Walmart and eBay and all those places, but it's Spirituality 101. And so, you know, if you're a psychic medium and you've been doing this stuff for 50 years, it's going to bore you. <laughs> you know, it'll be nothing new. If you're kind of new to near-death experiences or new to spirituality, it's a, it's a great introductory book to kind of get an overview of our place, you know, in creation and how we're helping the fractal of God grow and and the future of mankind. And it gives a real good overview of what near-death experiencers go through, the after effects. Um, and, you know, I kind of talk about some of the problems on earth, competition versus cooperation. And I really have a positive spin on it. And I'm working on another book, should be done in the year or two, called The New World of Love. So I'm going to be taking what near-death experiencers who are shown the future say about the future of humanity. And it's very positive. You know, we tend to be very negative. We tend to always think the worst, but humanity really does have a bright future. And uh, so, yeah, those are the my books. And then I do my spiritual counseling. If you go through an NDE, sometimes you can't tell anybody about it, or it can be very depressing because when you come back to this world, even if you have a really good life here, by comparison, to what it was like over there, it feels like hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I help people, uh, help people out and I have a, program for people who are in financial hardship or low income um, and more than half my clients are on that program so you know if you've had an NDE and you want to talk to somebody and you, you know I'm there for you you can go to godtookmyclothes.com my contact information is there and we can set up an appointment or if you just have any questions you can email or text me and I 
I just put my book out last year and it's just now starting to sell and get more popular. So hopefully I can keep responding to every question that comes in, but things are getting a little busier. It's getting a little harder to keep up. But for now, at the time of this recording, I'm still answering all questions and emails. Fantastic. Now, Dave, I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Living a good life. I'm going to say that's living a life of joy and compassion, right? With balance. So there's a few people that are on the side of they give too much of themselves and get burnt out. And there are probably the majority there on the selfishness side. So a life of balance, love for yourself, love for others, love for the planet. Yeah. What? And joy is the biggest sign of spiritual maturity. And you can have it without an ounce of spiritual knowledge. Children are very joyful and they don't know anything about what we talk about on shows like this. Very true. Very, very, very true. Now, how do you define God? I'm going to define God as the creative, benevolent source that expresses itself in all that is. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? The ultimate purpose of life cannot be described in human words, but those who have experienced it, they know. And the closest word we have, of course, is love. It's all about love. The Bible uh, talks about, which is a very good book. It, people asked about the Bible and they said, oh, yeah, it was channeled and, you know, true for the most part. And you got to interpret in the spiritual sense. The Bible mentions love over 500 times. And it says God is love. And every human being has experienced love. Animals, even plants experience love. Yeah, it's an energy. It's a measurable quantum energy, and it's the very substance of God and the substance of who we are. And it creates all things, and it projects in, onto all things, and it's the glue of the universe that holds everything together. David, thank you again for coming on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you again, and continue doing the good work that you're doing, my friend. Thank you. It was a pleasure being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I want to thank David so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 151. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember... Trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.